you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. One of your best friends comes to you and says, my husband is abusing me. With that claim, any compassionate friend would want to do anything and everything to prevent abuse from ever happening again. So your first advice may be, you need to get out of there. You can't let him continue to abuse you. Or even, it's time to get a good lawyer and file for a divorce. But what happens if you stop and ask, how exactly is your husband abusing you? And you get this answer. Well, he's never hit me, but he knows better than that. He yells at me all the time and even curses when he's really mad. I just can't take the verbal abuse anymore. Would your advice change? Now, even if we would call this verbal abuse, should other measures like some good biblical marital counseling be employed first? Well, this is only the beginning of the very complicated problem of abuse in marriage. When exactly does sinning against a spouse become abuse? Because once any behavior is labeled as abusive, that's when people tend to spring into action. Again, this is understandable because the last thing we want to see as Christians is people being abused by other people. So how do we best define abuse? According to the Gale Encyclopedia of Medicine, the definition is quite simple and straightforward. Abuse is any action that intentionally harms or injures another person. Yet, while this standard definition of abuse is clear, it is also very broad. Does it mean that one two-year-old who intentionally hits another two-year-old over a toy would be accused of toddler abuse? Probably not. But when a husband hits his wife on purpose during a dispute, then it would certainly be called an abusive action. Now, to help us better understand the issue of abuse, the National Domestic Violence Hotline adds some very important elements. The characteristics of pattern, power, and control. According to their website, domestic or relationship abuse is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. So while a single act of intentionally hurting another person may be called abusive in the general sense, we are much better served to recognize abuse as a controlling relational pattern. This is especially true as we deal with abuse in marriage. When two sinners marry each other, even two Christian sinners, there will always be sinful actions involved against one another. Unfortunately, spouses can intentionally hurt or injure one another as well. These sins must be confessed, repented of, and changed. But the focus of today's podcast is on that repeated pattern of injurious control known as marital abuse, something that should never be part of a Christian marriage but can often be, a very difficult problem to get a handle on and solve biblically. So let's dig down deep 
to the heart of all kinds of abuse that can occur in marriage. Here are some alarming statistics from the National Council on Domestic Violence. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. One in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, etc. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. This includes a range of behaviors, for example, slapping, shoving, pushing, and in some cases might not be considered domestic violence. One in seven women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner. One in 10 women have been raped by an intimate partner. One in four women and one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence, example, beating, burning, strangling by an intimate partner in their lifetime. On a typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. Intimate partner violence accounts for 15% of all violent crime. Think of that, 15%. Women between the ages of 18 to 24 are most commonly abused by an intimate partner. 19% of domestic violence involves a weapon. Any way you slice it, abuse in marriage, also known in these statistics as intimate partner violence, is a wide-ranging tragedy. What should be the most loving and compassionate of all human relationships on this earth can also be the most destructive due to sinful hearts and minds. While Christian marriage may have less abuse incidents, it still exists and must be understood and confronted. So let's work on an understanding of how and why abuse occurs in marriage and what we are to do about it biblically. Let's start with understanding abuse in marriage. Consider first the various types of abuse. It used to be that when you talked about abuse in marriage, it referred to physical abuse only, a husband hitting a wife most of the time. Now those who research domestic violence speak of many different types of hurtful actions that can rise to the level of abuse. Let's briefly go through the list. First, there is the category of physical abuse. Pulling hair, punching, slapping, kicking, biting, choking, hurting a spouse with weapons. Then there's verbal abuse. Name-calling, yelling, cursing, insulting the person, mocking. Then there's the third category known as emotional or psychological abuse. Some examples of that are threatening the person or threatening to take away something that is important to them, ignoring, isolating the person, excluding them from meaningful events or activities, refusing to trust the person and acting jealous or possessive, trying to isolate the person from family or friends, monitoring where they go, who they call, who they spend time with, 
punishing them by withholding affection, attempting to control their appearance, what they wear, how much little makeup they wear, etc. Telling that person they will never find anyone better or that they're lucky to be with a person like you. Then the fourth category is sexual abuse. Forcing a person to dress in a sexual way, forcing or manipulating them into having sex or performing sexual acts. Demanding sex when they're sick, tired, or after uh, hurting you. Forcing a person to watch pornography. The next category is referred to as financial abuse. Giving an allowance and closely watching how a person spends it or demanding receipts for purchases. Preventing them from viewing or having access to bank accounts. Forbidding them to work or limiting the hours they can work. Stealing money from them or their family and friends. You get the idea. And then there's actually a new one on the list. Digital abuse. Digital abuse is when a person tells another that they can't be friends with someone on Facebook or on other sites. One who sends negative, insulting, or even threatening emails, Facebook messages, tweets, direct messages, or other messages online. Stealing or insisting on being given passwords. Constantly texting and making you feel like you can't be separated from your phone for fear that you'll be punished. Looking through your phone frequently. Checking up on pictures, texts, and outgoing calls. Using any kind of technology such as spyware or GPS to monitor you. So you see we have a much longer list of things that can rise to the level of abuse in marriage. But just to be clear, singular or isolated events should not be considered abuse, even if they are sinful and need to be confessed and repented of. What we are looking for is a pattern here, not things that happen every so often within the bounds of a loving, healthy marriage. Well, that leads us to the next element that will help our understanding of abuse in marriage. Abuse always involves power, control, and manipulation. Hopefully you hear that in that list, that you hear the central feature of abuse in all those various types. A pattern of control emerges that ends up characterizing the entire marriage. So physical abuse is the use of hitting or punching or weapons, not just to hurt, but to exert power and control. Verbal abuse is not just cursing or saying something mean to your spouse. It is using your tongue to control and manipulate. The same goes for emotional, psychological, sexual, financial abuse, etc. Again, make sure you're not hearing me say that doing something harmful to a spouse every once in a while is okay. It certainly is not. I'm just trying to make a clear distinction between when the basic sins that occur between spouses rise to the level of abuse. And the main difference is that abuse is motivated by the desire to control the other person with the power you possess. To put it another way, think about the word use in abuse. Abuse occurs when we are using our spouse for our benefit rather than sacrificially loving our spouse. Now, this characteristic of abuse in marriage leads some to believe that only husbands can abuse wives. Husbands tend to be physically more powerful, more dominant, 
and naturally more aggressive and oppressive. So most illustrations of abuse in marriage picture a wife being abused by a husband. While I would definitely agree there are more situations where husbands are abusing wives, there are also wives that are the abusers. If you are listening to the list of all types of abuse, power and control can be exercised emotionally, verbally, psychologically, and sexually where the spouse doesn't have to be the physically stronger one. In other words, while men can be physically abusive, as well as any of the other types too, women can easily be tempted to be verbally, emotionally, and psychologically abusive as well. Marriage is unique. Both spouses can hold power and control over the other. Either spouse can become manipulative. Abuse can work both ways. As Christians, no abuse can get a pass or be thought of as the way marriage should be. It does not fit within the biblical roles of spiritual leader and godly helpmate. While some abuse is very easy to spot, we have to be aware of the more hidden types of abusive behavior. Remember, anything rooted in a heart of control and manipulation can become a pattern of abuse. Which leads us to the last important element of definition. Abuse in marriage usually follows a classic abuse cycle. Now let me see if I can describe it to you when it's better to see it as a picture. There are four stages to this cycle. Stage one is called surface peace. This is really the key to understanding abuse in marriage. The marriage looks peaceful, but there's not true biblical love and unity and peace present. Surface peace just means we have been getting along well for a little while. No major fights, no real disagreements. Each spouse is relatively happy, but again, no true intimacy. Then comes stage two as you go around the right side of that cycle. Stage two is called tension buildup. Because there's no true love and intimacy, stress builds in the marriage. One or both spouses become more selfish, looking to get their needs met. Surface peace is breaking down. Real problems aren't really getting fixed. Which leads to the bottom of the abuse cycle, stage three, the abuse explosion itself. It may come in the form of a conflict that becomes physical or a verbal tirade. Or it can be more manipulative emotionally and psychologically. The abuse can be a single incident or a series of events over days or weeks. Then at some point we get to stage four, remorse. The abuser relents and begins to apologize. He or she is apparently remorseful. The abuser promises never to abuse again. He will change. He will do whatever it takes. There may be gifts with the apologies. There may be days and weeks of very good behavior. But there's not real long-lasting change. Which will mean that the marriage gets back to stage one pretty quickly. Surface peace. The storm of abuse has seemingly passed for now. But the cycle is still spinning. The abuse will start up again. So there's the abuse cycle, surface peace, tension buildup, explosion, remorse. 
Now, this cycle often begins in the dating days or very early in marriage, and the cycle continues. Now, in severely abusive marriages, there's no longer a cycle because there's no remorse. It is just constant, repeated abuse in various forms. But in Christian marriages especially, you will see the abuse cycle present, and it will need to be interrupted in order for biblical change to occur. Now let's talk through how to respond to abuse in marriage biblically. Again, the knee-jerk response to learning about the abuse is to advise the abused to leave the marriage, temporarily separate or even file for divorce. In many cases, the abused puts up with the abuse for a period of time and then ends up leaving after repeated threats. Some would say this is the only real option because abusers will never change. They will always abuse. Even threats of leaving don't work. You have one choice, flee the marriage. Now, while I would agree that this may be the case in some situations, that doesn't mean the majority of Christian marriages have to end. Christians need biblical counseling to break the abuse cycle and to grow in love and intimacy. So here are some practical principles and procedures that should be followed depending on the type and severity of the abuse. First, get to safety immediately. Especially if the abuse is physical in nature, it's mandatory to seek protection. A spouse should never wait until a conflict has escalated to the point of true dangerous violence. This may also include calling the police in order to have their assistance or a trusted friend or family member. Unfortunately, many wives who feel physically threatened may be afraid to leave since that would only make the husband angrier. And then it may also be more challenging when children are involved. That's where trusting God for protection, wise action must happen to not risk the abusive situation getting that much worse. If abuse has gotten to this stage, it will be very difficult to salvage the marriage, especially if the physical threat is ongoing. Second, confront the abusive behavior. Let's assume the abuse is not at a place where the abused is feeling unsafe, but there's certainly harmful behavior to the marriage going on. The abused spouse often keeps silent or just gets distant when hurt. This occurs during the remorseful stage when the abuser is attempting to apologize and make things right again. It is essential for the spouse who was sinned against to clearly and firmly rebuke the other spouse. You were wrong when you yelled and cursed at me. It was wrong for you to push me in your anger. Threatening divorce in order to control me is sinful and displeasing to God. Tracking me out of sinful fear and jealousy is not trusting God or me. Your statements were manipulative and controlling. Giving me the silent treatment and not letting me touch you is sinful revenge. Now, confronting an abusing spouse biblically is easier said than done. Unfortunately, the one who has been abused often takes on a victim persona in response to being victimized. Here are some examples of how not to confront. I shouldn't have to tell you what you've done. You should know how much you hurt me just by paying attention. 
It's not worth me even talking about it again. You'll never change. You'll just deny it, so why should I tell you what you did wrong? If you hurt me again, I'm out of here. All of these sorts of confronting statements are manipulative and controlling. They do not display godly humility. Of course, in these situations, anger and even despair is understandable, especially when the abusive patterns seem unrelenting. But the abused spouse has a responsibility to not respond in sinful anger and ungodly despair. A righteous confrontation can be used by God to begin the work of real change in the heart of the abuser. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Now for a related principle. The abused must avoid becoming controlling. If abuse in marriage is rooted in one spouse exercising power and control over another, then how does that dynamic stop? Well, it would certainly help if the abuser would stop being so controlling. But we're working on how to respond to abuse. And the truth is that it is very tempting for the abused person to fight back with controlling behavior as well. Let's assume the husband is abusing his wife verbally and emotionally. He has just berated her and mocked her in front of the children. Understandably, she is upset and runs to the bedroom and locks the door. Husband feels remorse and wants to come into the bedroom and talk. He apologizes numerous times through the door, but his wife will not let him in. Now, at this point, it is probably a good idea for the husband to stop pushing and walk away preparing himself spiritually and emotionally to wait for an opportunity to confess and repent. If he continues to push, the abuse could start on his end again, in words and even trying to break down the door. And it is understandable that the wife needs some time to deal with how she's been treated, especially if this has happened numerous times before. But it is essential that she is handling it biblically in her bedroom. She must be praying and seeking the Lord and keeping her heart soft in order to forgive when there is an actual confession of sin. But if she's sitting in her room plotting revenge or just languishing in self-pity, this is a recipe for even more problems. In other words, the abused must take great care not to respond to abuse with controlling behavior. The controlling behavior may be in the form of revenge, wanting to inflict pain on the one who has hurt her, Or it may be that she remains a victim, claiming unending hurt and pain that can never be rectified. So if this wife would ban her husband from their bedroom for days and weeks, this would be a controlling response. Again, I'm assuming a repentant husband at this point. Or if the wife comes out and attacks the husband verbally in front of the children so he can see how it feels, more controlling behavior. There are myriad ways an abused spouse can actually become an abuser herself, all in an effort to keep from being abused again. Now, hopefully you don't hear me saying that the abuser should get some sort of free pass or cheap grace. No, the abused must be confronted and rebuked. But in Christian marriage, it is not a spouse's job to make the other spouse pay for their sins. As God himself says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. In marriage, we are to be prepared to hear confession of sin and to forgive. 
than to do the hard work of loving someone who has hurt us. The main point here is that marriage will become even more abusive if the abused spouse chooses to also become an abuser. And then next, the abused must examine his or her own part of the problem. Here again, I'm treading into a little bit of dangerous territory. It's always much easier for us to see people in two dimensions. One has the black hat, one has the white hat, one is evil, the other is innocent. In no way do I believe that the victim of abuse ever deserves the abuse or that an abuser is somehow off the hook if he or she was provoked. For example, even if a wife calls her husband a vile name, he has no right to haul off and hit her or even say an abusive word back to her. So I'm not saying that the abused spouse is to blame for being abused if she did something wrong towards her spouse in the first place. What I am holding up is the biblical standard that we are all responsible for our own words, our own attitudes, and our own actions. We must all give account for our own behavior. Therefore, the abusive marriage, just like all marriages, requires an examination of how both spouses are treating one another, communicating to each other, and even sinning against each other. It may very well be that a husband has become physically abusive in a way to retaliate for the emotional distance that the wife has created in the marriage. Or the wife may be verbally abusive to her husband because she has been shown little attention or affection through the years. Again, it's never as clean as I did this because you did that. Spouses like to think there is a one-to-one correspondence, but that is rarely the case. Our marriages are just too complex. But it is the abused spouse's responsibility to truly evaluate what part he or she has played in the abuse. Has he or she provoked the spouse to anger? Have certain behaviors created a lack of intimacy leading to an abuse cycle? Has unforgiveness created a root of bitterness in the marriage? Has passivity created an atmosphere for abuse? And the list goes on. This often takes biblical counseling to examine all the issues involved. It is rarely as simple as one evil spouse and one innocent victim spouse. In order for there to be any hope for the abusive marriage, both spouses are going to have to examine their own behaviors, their own hearts, their own methods of communicating and relating with each other, and their own unforgiveness and bitterness. There is so much more to be said about the difficult problem of abuse in marriage. As Christians, it should cause us great grief to know how two people who are supposed to love with the love of Christ can treat one another. But we also should know how easy it is for sinners to hurt the ones closest to themselves. So here are some closing thoughts for the abuser. First, remember your vows to the Lord. Every Christian married spouse made vows to love and cherish their spouse. No one stood before witnesses and the Lord promising to hurt and abuse the other. Yes, the ultimate vow is that we will stay married to our spouse through good times and bad times until death do us part. 
Yet that doesn't mean that we can take advantage of that vow by abusing another. We can't have a pattern of controlling and abusing our spouse and not expect our marriage to be totally destroyed at some point. God will hold us accountable for how we treat our spouses. Then second, there is never a justification for abuse. One of the big problems with abusive behavior is it can be rationalized away. Again, the abuser can say in his heart, I did this because she did that. This just turns marriage into a bad sibling relationship where payback and revenge and the abuse of power characterize the relationship. In reality, it doesn't matter what your spouse has done to you, is treating you, or what you're fearful he or she may do. Your job is to love her, not to use her or abuse her. True confession and repentance takes full responsibility for our actions. It doesn't blame shift or find some justification. A third word for the abuser, biblical change, not manipulative remorse, is the only answer. Abusers can be very good at apologies. The bouquet of flowers, the gifts, the flurry of sweet behaviors around the house, a runaway weekend. Then comes the promise to never, ever, ever do it again. But all this usually does is continue the cycle. Time passes, nice behavior fades, old habits come back. So there's only one solution, true heart change by the powerful work of the Spirit. The abuser must spend his time in prayer, in God's Word, in soul-searching work, in developing a life of humility and submission to God. Not some manipulation of his spouse to get back in her good graces. Real heart change. Then fourth, confront your need for control. Abuse in marriage doesn't always come from a heart of anger but also often a heart of anxiety. Remember that anxiety is the desire to control what I can't control, and it's impossible to truly control another person as hard as we may try. So the controlling behavior of the abuser is often rooted in fear and worry and anxiety. But there is no love in fear, according to 1 John 4. Getting to the heart of the anxiety in marriage will go a long way to quell abusive words and behaviors toward your spouse. And then finally, learn to love as Christ loves you. The ultimate antidote to abuse in marriage is the presence of true Christ-like love in marriage. Remember that abuse is rooted in using behavior, never loving behavior. As simple as it may sound, the abuser needs to learn how to love. He or she may have never known how to love in the first place from the very beginning of the relationship. And this ability to love comes only from one place, from enjoying the love of Christ for you. God's word is clear. We are called to love as we have been loved, to sacrifice self instead of taking care of self. Only then will we move from abuse to the care and compassion that our spouse truly needs. For the abuse of marriage to move to a godly marriage, two spouses will need to grow in faith and grace, moving past surface peace to the peace that only comes as a fruit of the Spirit. 
Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.